the book of Galatians. Paul's dealing with an issue there that is uh, an imminent situation there for the churches at Galatia. These folks are in danger of rejecting the gospel in favor of some uh, some other way, as it were, to enjoy a relationship with God. But there is no such thing. There's no other way, and that's Paul's message. Is there's no other way for you to be in Christ. Remember Galatians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 4. Paul points out that these folks have been redeemed. In other words, they've been purchased by God. And then, having been redeemed by God through Jesus Christ, they have been brought into God's household. That they have been made part of God's family through the work and person of Jesus Christ. Okay, and that's it. He's writing to uh, a, these churches in, in the region of Galatia that are comprised of Gentiles, and now they are being influenced uh, by a group of people known as Judaizers who would have them um, embrace Judaism and and would have them believe that, that they are not Christians indeed unless they are first observant to the law of Moses and then become Christians. All this is, amounts to false teaching, okay? And this is what Paul's pointing out. And what he's what he, the message in chapter this kind of all culminates in chapter five. That the message being that Paul is saying, "Look, you you don't understand how serious this is, okay?" And having discussed these things, uh, we come to this point where the message is is that you know you can be separated from Christ. And this is not just this is not just an isolated statement here in the New Testament. If you go all the way back to the Gospels and the teachings of Jesus, all the way through, you listen to what the Hebrew writer says. You listen to what the Apostle Peter says in his writings, and this idea is runs throughout. And so, it's important for us to understand all of the Bible's teachings pertaining to this idea of being separated from Christ or having fallen from grace. And the idea when Paul uses the, uses the language of falling, it's you've gone from the highest place down to something lower, something less, something or something that's not at all. And it's important for our understanding as, as Christians here in the 21st century that we understand this teaching because there's an idea out there in the religious world that this is just not possible. That you can't fall from grace. That you can't be outside of the grace of God. But this is not only, this is either the result of false teaching or a misunderstanding of the scriptures. Um, because it is, the Bible teaches that, that it is the case. And as we've been talking about this, we've kind of put these, these people who would be in danger of this into two categories. Either those who have rejected Christ in favor of some other teaching. Rejected the gospel in favor of some other teaching uh, that they have come to believe would put them in a right relationship with God. Okay? So that's one group of people, and that's what Paul's dealing with specifically here in chapter 5. 
But if we read further in the New Testament, there's another group of people who have been separated from Christ due to the deceitfulness of sin. And they have become so hardened as to be unrepentant. As to not live the repentant lifestyle. And we've pointed out, and I'll continue to say this as we study, that there is a, there is a distinction to be made between the struggling Christian who is in the process of mortification of the flesh, who is in the process of uh, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, who is in the process of crucifying the flesh, and, and, and engaged in that struggle with sin, but continues to repent and continues to move towards what God desires them to be. We all must do that. That's not who we're not, we're not talking about the Christian who sins in the process of struggling with sin. Okay? But is repentant and continues to come back, continues to uh, walk in the light, 1 John chapter 1 and chapter 2, and that the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us. We have that, as Christians, and as vessels of the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit, we have the continued blessing of the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. We're not talking about this. We're talking about folks who have become so hardened to sin as to be unrepentant. Okay? And they don't live that repentant lifestyle and are no longer seeking that that uh, familial relationship with God. Okay? The Hebrew writer deals with this at length, and so does the Apostle Peter. And we're going to look at those this morning. Uh, I believe last time we left off reading in Hebrew, uh, hold Galatians chapter 5, if you would, and turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Starting in verse 4. The Hebrew writer says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Now notice, if you would please, that this idea of falling away is not something man has come up with. This, these are the words of the Holy Spirit. And then if falling away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. To, to sum all that up, would be notice that this person has tasted of the heavenly gift, and they are partakers of the Holy Spirit. And having become partakers of the Holy Spirit, having now having that indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit, they have now ignored the activity of the Holy Spirit in their life. In other words, what did we say before? The, 
the, the Spirit's work in our life is not separate and apart from the Word of God. Okay? So, we're talking about someone who is no longer walking in the light, as the Apostle John would point out. And what is that light? It is to walk in the Word of God uh, and to be influenced by that indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit as to as we read, as we learn, as we grow, we, we are continually making those changes. We are continually uh, uh, following the influence of the Spirit. And remember, the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life does not happen without also partaking of the Word of God. If you want the Holy Spirit to be active in your life, you must be partaking of the Word of God. How else are you going to know the things which are pleasing to God? They crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. In other words, it's as if Christ has did not exist and does not have any influence in their life. Okay? Again, uh, this idea of growing, maturing in the faith, becoming, uh, becoming uh, pleasing to God in accordance with His Word, this is the activity of the Holy Spirit. This is God at work in your life. And Jesus says in John chapter 6 and verse 44, He says, No man can come unto the Father and uh, come unto me unless the Father draws him. So the drawing, the urging, the movement by God in our life, put, causing us to be more pleasing to Him. This all happens through our partaking of the Word of God. And what we're talking about are people who have rejected that. Verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 6, For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those who, whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But it yields thorns and thistles. It is worthless and close to being cursed. And it ends up being burned. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation. Though we are speaking of things in this way. Now those things that accompany salvation. Don't miss that point. Because in the life of the Christian, the child of God who is drawing near to God on a daily basis, walking in the light, in that, in that movement towards being more pleasing to God, these are the things that he mentions that accompany salvation. The ongoing cleansing of the blood of Jesus, the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit, the mortification of the flesh. It's that forward movement towards God. Okay, These are the things that accompany salvation. Once you've been saved, you enjoy those blessings. Okay? And the point is that the Hebrews writer is trying to make is don't discard that. Don't, don't, uh, it, it's not a one and done. Do not neglect those blessings that accompany salvation. Okay? They are yours so that you move forward and, and more closer to God in a in a in a lifelong movement towards becoming what God wants you to be. 
as his child, as, as, as his redeemed, remember Galatians chapter 3 and 4, he's purchased you, and then you've become part of his family. Okay? B.W. Johnson writes in his commentary, there are sins that have no forgiveness. Okay? Listen carefully. There are sins that have no forgiveness. There are apostates who can never find a place for repentance. Not because of the failure of God's mercy. It is not suggested that God would not extend His mercy. What did, what did the Apostle John write? He said that God is faithful and just. And that He will forgive us. God doesn't break His promise. But there are folks who have closed their mind, their hearts and minds to repentance. If, if on the one case we're talking about folks who have rejected the gospel in favor of some other path to God, which there is not, but in their mind they have, they have convinced themselves that it's so. There is no repentance except in Jesus Christ. So if you reject Christ, there's no other way for repentance. How else are you going to come to God? So there's the one. And then on the other hand, there are those who have hardened their hearts through the deceitfulness, deceitfulness of sin so as to their heart is hard. And they it, it is not penetrated by, by the love of God and, and the motivation towards repentance. Okay? But it has nothing to do with the inadequacy of God's mercy. They have destroyed their moral capacity for a heartfelt repentance. And generally we are talking about the most hardened sinner. Okay? Or apostates. He has so far fallen that he has no capacity left for repentance. Judas, the apostate, sorrowed. But his sorrow became despair. There was remorse, but there was not repentance. By rejecting Christ, they placed themselves with those who rejected Him and crucified Him because He affirmed that He was the Son of God. Those men are not those overtaken in a fault or backsliders only, but men once Christian professors who not only turn away, but oppose Christ. Now, if you would, please turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to finish up talking about those who are hardened by sin to the point of being without concern. Okay, Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked Me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Now, the Hebrew writer is quoting from the Old Testament. Where your fathers tried Me by testing Me and saw My works for forty years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart 
and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, why would he encourage folks there in verse 12 to guard against this hardening of the heart, this deceitfulness of sin? If it were not possible, as many folks in the religious world contend, why would we have these warnings? But encourage one another. So what is the relationship between then in the body of Christ and this, this guarding against the hardening of the heart, the deceitfulness of sin? What is the relationship there? It's our responsibility to encourage one another to guard against these things. It's our responsibility to help one another. Okay? Because we're not out there all by ourselves, are we? We are part of the body of Christ. We have the resource. We have the, we have everything at our disposal. We have the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God and we have each other. Okay? To encourage, to admonish, to lift up, to motivate. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. What did, what did the Apostle John write in Revelate? Well, he, he recorded what was being given to him. In Revelation chapter 2, what, is, what, did, what did the Spirit say? Remain faithful unto death, and I shall give you what? The crown of life. While it is said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me. Now, who is He writing this to? Is He un- writing this to the unconverted? No. The warning is is that your heart can become hardened to sin if you allow it. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all of those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. <clears throat> Was that the first bell a minute ago there? Um, it, 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 when you talk about these things, what comes uh, to my aid is the when 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 Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders 
of the time there. And, and they saw what? They saw what he was doing. They saw him heal somebody. They saw him cast out demons. And what they were seeing was what? Through these miraculous events, what were they seeing? They were seeing a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, weren't they? Because Christ had the Spirit without measure, didn't He? Okay? And the Spirit that was with Him was a testimony to what? To the fact that He was indeed the Son of God. So when 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 you saw Him heal somebody, or when you saw Him cast out a demon... Uh, you were, you were being, uh, you were in the presence of God. And it was a testimony that all the things that he said was true. And to reject that would be to do what? To reject the Spirit's testimony. So when, when the, when the folks said he's casting out demons by the power of the demon, okay, or the ruler of the demons, they, and, and then what did he say? What did he, what did they talk to about? blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin. Why is it unforgivable? Because if you reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit, you're rejecting Christ, and forgiveness is only in Christ. And you can't... if If you are rejecting Christ, you are rejecting the only path for forgiveness. Okay? So to do so would be to blaspheme the Holy Spirit or to reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And in that day and time, that would be to reject the things that you were seeing with your own eyes. Christ healing this person. He's casting out this demon. He raised that person from the dead. If you reject that, you're rejecting the testimony of the Holy Spirit or you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And to do the same thing today would be to reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit, which we have, which is the Word of God. So if you reject the Word of God, you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You are rejecting the Spirit's testimony. And that is the only way that you can have repentance. Would you agree with that? Now we're going to pick up there next week. Uh, we're going to finish this particular part of our discussion. Next week we will finish this uh, by looking at what the Apostle Peter has to say about it. But uh, thank you for being here this morning.